Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I've been hosting this show for 16 years. I will tell you, this is one of the most gripping, compelling, explosive conversations that you will hear on our show this week. Christian Dawkins, the centerpiece of the film The Scheme, is debuting March 31st at 9 p.m. Eastern Time exclusively on HBO. He joined me for an in-depth conversation. I don't know that he's done any other interviews leading up to this film debut. Um, Dawkins, if you don't know who he is, he was orchestrating massive cash payments to top high school prospects with the help of Adidas and unbeknownst to him, undercover FBI agents. Ultimately, guilty verdicts on a range of fraud and bribery charges left Dawkins with approximately 18 months of prison time. In the film, The Scheme, we hear Dawkins' side of the story for the first time. But with me, he talks about the movie. He talks about Will Wade at LSU, Sean Miller at Arizona, and Rick Pitino, who is now at Iona. He also talks about the NCAA in depth. I'll warn you, uh, there are some F-bombs dropped by him in this conversation. So uh, you might want to either listen with your earbuds in or uh, without your kids around. But it's a really interesting conversation. And I'll say this, Griggs, Brian Griggs joins me via phone. I don't disagree with everything he says. I think he broke rules and I think he admits that he broke rules. But I don't disagree that the system is broken and that it needs a change and that in some industries you can sign great talent at a young age and there's nothing wrong with it. But in the NCAA and in college sports, that's against the rule. And he broke the rules, but I agree with him that I'm not sure the rules are correct for today's modern world. Greg, uh, I know you listened to a little bit of it, but uh, really explosive conversation. Yeah, it is. And this is, this is part of the, the fun of podcasting because you get conversations like this one where he just goes in depth. It's so, it's so real and raw that, man, you just learn so much about him and about the industry and just the dark side of the stuff he went through. Well, and the thing is, when you listen to him or you watch the scheme on HBO, he's an eloquent guy. He's a bright guy. He's a shrewd guy. So he has great credibility as far as I'm concerned. Again, is he a saint? No. Um, has he gone to prison? Yes. Should the FBI be focusing on things other than busting college basketball coaches, which, by the way, they never actually did? Probably. Um, is he the guy that they were ultimately after? No. They were after college basketball coaches, but he was the guy who had the ties to the college basketball coaches. So it's a really interesting conversation. 
I invite you to listen to it. You know, I have friends at the NCAA, so, uh, you know, I respect the job that they have done and that they continue to do. Um, is it a perfect system? No, it's not. And I think Christian Dawkins points out the flaws in that system. I'll let you judge for yourself in the conversation coming up next. Uh, Griggs, how are things going on your end? You know, all good. It's, uh, it's just, uh, Another day, I'm enjoying the Friday pods. I think it gives us something to do, something to look forward to, gives the listeners some more content. So I'm uh, I'm enjoying jumping on with you on Friday mornings for sure. That's been fun. Well, I'll tell you what, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, what did we start going to two two pods a week? Uh, two weeks ago? I think two, yeah, two or three, yeah. So we are now up to the number three spot in the sports news section on iTunes in the all-time bestsellers list. So uh, our numbers are going up. People are listening more and more. People want fresh content. They want uh, interesting conversations like the one today. So I'm glad that we've gone to two a week. We're going to stay at two a week for the foreseeable future. Griggs, the home studio, uh, you know, this all sucks, the whole COVID-19 thing. But having the home studio and the ability to record a conversation with anyone at any time is is pretty convenient. Yeah, that's the convenience of it. And the technology's come a long way where you literally can be anywhere in the world and do a show. And it's been, uh, it's been really fun. And yeah, you, you get content, you get guests whenever they're available, which is nice too for them. So, uh, it's all around a win. All right. Well, stay safe. I think I've said this every podcast in the last two or three weeks. Stay home, wash your hands, exercise, engage with others virtually. That's what we're doing. Um, and enjoy this conversation. I think you're going to find it really fascinating with Christian Dawkins, centerpiece of the film The Scheme on HBO, debuting at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Christian Dawkins uh, hooked up with a friend of ours, Rudy Klein Thomas, who's the executive producer on this film. Andre Iguodala works with Rudy Klein Thomas, if you remember from past podcasts. But this is a really fascinating conversation. Enjoy. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. And guess what? Mizzen in Maine now is making pants. At long last, the Mizzen in Maine performance chino is here. Everything consumers love about the dress shirts packed into new pants. Business casual just got comfortable. I love my Mizzen in Maine pants. It has the same breathability, superior comfort, no pilling. It's awesome. For travel, I don't have to worry about my pants being wrinkled when I take them out of my suitcase, just like my dress shirts. Now I'm covered. I've got the pullover. I've got the dress shirts. I've got the new pants. Go to MizzenandMaine.com. Use the promo code SBR. Try out their new pants. I promise you'll love them. That's MizzenInMaine.com, code SBR. My guest is Christian Dawkins. He is the centerpiece of the film The Scheme. 
It's debuting March 31st at 9 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on HBO. The film is the first-person account of how my guest today wound up at the center of the biggest criminal case in collegiate sports history. The film also chronicles an extensive and unprecedented two-year undercover FBI investigation into college basketball corruption that came to a dramatic climax on September 26, 2017, when Adidas executives and assistant coaches at major college programs were arrested in a pay-for-play scheme. My friend Rudy Klein-Thomas of Mastery is an executive producer on this film. I knew it would be outstanding with his involvement. I've watched a screener of the movie. It's really dramatic and compelling. I want to welcome right now to Sports Business Radio, Christian Dawkins. Christian, thank you for joining me. Oh, no problem. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, Great. Let me start by asking you this. You could have told your story in a variety of different ways. Why did you agree to tell your side of the story in the film, The Scheme? Well, I think um, the reason why I did it, you know, the way I did it was I wanted to only do it one time. And, you know, obviously, with all the reliving all the different experiences and the different scenarios and emotions that derive from, you know, reliving it i really on really really wanted to do it once um and i think i got pretty much everything out that i needed to um in the initial stages when rudy and i had a conversation about everything i kind of told him and explained to him you know what really happened and he had the bright idea to connect myself with peter nelson who's over hbo sports and now we have a film. So that's pretty much how it all came about. My thinking was, let's do it one time. I can get out what I, what I have. Any questions you have for me, I'll be as transparent as possible. Um, and HBO provided the platform. So it, it pretty much worked out, um, across the board. How long did it take to make the movie? As soon as I got arrested, pretty much, um, I met with HBO. So it wasn't, so it's been a it's been a it's been a two year process basically. It wasn't anything that was quick at all. Yeah, the production elements of the movie are, are really excellent. Um, how much say did you have in the direction of the film since it is your perspective primarily? I mean, it was my perspective, but like pretty much all of. I wish I was that creative to make the doc look as good as it does. That was all Pat and Dallas and the Babbage team. Um, the questions that they asked, everything that they have in the documentary came from Bad Bridge researching. I didn't even know, like, there's certain portions of interviews from my lawyer or my family. I didn't even know about all those things until I seen the first cut. Um, I literally just seen the final cut uh, maybe four days ago. Oh, wow. Four days ago, I watched it with my family. Yeah, so it was... This thing was getting edited. It was stuff getting getting put in. It was all type of. It was it was a process for sure. So it wasn't something that I had any control over outside of what I said. Everything that I say in the documentary, I stand by and I and I said it. But but they didn't. Um, they're definitely. This wasn't a, the Christian Dawkins show at all, as it pertains to um, the entire. It was definitely a collaborative process. Obviously, I had a lot to do with it, but. You know, they brought a lot to the table as well, the other producers and, and people involved. What did your parents think of it when you sat down and watched it with them? Because they're in it pretty extensively. 
Uh, my um, both of them thought it was 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 really really well put together. Um, my father thought I was funnier than he knew. My mom <laughs> thought I cursed way too much. That was pretty. That was their note. So <laughs> if the, typical if the parents family are providing notes, yeah, they, that would be their EP um, notes. Is is I curse too much and I'm funnier than my dad knew. You I know, was. it's interesting. I've heard your name before. I had never heard you spoke. And one of the mm-hmm. things that struck me was, you know what? This guy's a sharp guy. He's eloquent. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you're not someone who is operating in the shadows and, and, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about. So to me, yeah. I, I found you to be a very credible person after watching this film. Yeah, I think anybody, I mean, listen, I'm not going to put myself out there like I'm Jeff Bezos, but I think anybody who, who sits in, in, and just listens, um, and, and pays attention for two hours and, and comes in unbiased, um, I think you may not like me or you may not agree with everything that I'm saying, but you would at least get my POV and why I think some of the things that I think why I say some of the things I say and why I did some of the things that I did. I think that it would you, you would at least get a better perspective of who I am and what I'm about. Um, so humbly, I would say I, I agree with that statement that you just made. Is that what you want viewers to take away after watching the film, that you're credible, that you know what you're talking about, or is there another message that you want people to take away um, cause you know, I thought there were several messages in the film beyond what you said. Yeah. I think when Rudy and I first sat down, I pretty much told him that for me, my story is a part of the bigger story. Like, let's just be frank here. I doubt very seriously that, um, it will be a good program decision for HBO to waste some with this probably a good amount of money on just making a project about Christian Dawkins. Like it has to be a deeper story there. And for us, the whole time was it's a, it's to me, it's a, it's a criminal justice, social justice piece. It's not, it's not as much a sports film as you would think if you just watched a trailer or read the headlines. For me, it wasn't so much about coming out of this thing looking like, a star or a hero or credible as much as it was like, listen, my story is a part of a bigger problem. And that problem to, to, to myself is the system is completely fucked. I mean, the NCAA's, uh rules and policies are completely um, just, the only words you can really use is wrong. That can sum it up the way, the way it is in its current state. So for me, I, I was very careful not to say at the end of the documentary, um, I mean, you've seen it, but, but I say something about the NCAA and I didn't say that about anybody else. And obviously I could be mad 10 different ways at 10 different types of people or groups. But the biggest thing for me is all this stems back to the original problem. And that is the NCAA's amateurism rules. None of these things could have happened um, if not for those rules. So for me, that's the biggest problem. That's the, the, the biggest thing I was trying to get across was one, these rules are completely, you know, ancient in theory and in thinking and they need to change immediately. 
And two, I just wanted to basically not even show and prove, but just the question that I ask at the end of the documentary when I say if all of these players and, and athletes that, that are that are household names and worth worth hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes billions to certain organizations, if all of them were, were Caucasian or white and the and the administrators and the athletic directors and the people reaping the benefits of their labor um, to the tune of billions in some cases were African American. This this would be a national crisis. This would be this would be you know you would have senators and governors, presidents, whomever chiming in on this. There's no way that that this would be um, set up the way it is. So like those that are that's really the biggest question I would like viewers to to take from the from the project is is if the the tables were reversed and the the racial demographic of of the people involved were, was was alternated um would this still be the reality today i i vote no and if the the answer to the majority is no then the question just has to become how are we all sitting around and letting this happen um today um, so, so though that's the biggest reason why I did the project, it wasn't for any other uh, motive. I mean, everything else is it was an added it was an added bonus. But those two, um, those two things were the were the biggest, most critical pieces that I wanted to get across from the NCAA's perspective. And also, lastly, obviously, I'm going to be biased as it pertains to this, but I feel like there was there was a little bit of. Um, some bias at the prosecution level on who was charged and who was not charged as an American citizen. I think that's wrong. And, and that shouldn't be, that shouldn't happen. Now, again, was I, was I going to win? Um, am I going to win an award for being the most ethical person in the country? Probably not. But at the same time, what we got charged for shouldn't have happened. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that until, you know, the the end of my days here. So much to unpack with what you just said. Um, let me start with, because this was one of the, the main questions I wanted to ask you. If you were in charge of the NCAA, what would mm-hmm. you, cha- what would you change tomorrow? If, if we're talking about the, the, the rules, um, as it pertains to amateurism, um, I think, I think the, the most efficient way um, is by allowing the players to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Now, now it's a it could be a little bit of a problem if I'm the chairman of NCAA because those same brands or sneaker companies or whomever those third party brand partners who are pumping millions of dollars into sponsorship and branding deals probably don't come directly at the corporate level to the universities or the NCAA directly, they'll probably go to the talent more so. So they'll, they'll lose some money, but the NCAA will make more than enough off of licensing and everything like that and TV rights and everything like that. I mean, March Madness is really the last live event that matters in cable. So it's like money wise, they'll be fine if they do it that way. If they get into, Paying everybody in the payrolls. I haven't done the the numbers to, to to know if it could actually be justified when it relates to because you have to pay everybody the same thing. That could be a a numbers issue. I understand that. Um, so the easiest thing is just 
to not deny people their basic human right to monetize their name and their brand. I mean, this isn't this isn't something that we're asking or something that has been suggested that is some rogue theory. Like everybody in the world can get paid off of the rights to their name, except college athletes. So if you if you reverse that issue, you may lose some. You may not get two hundred million dollars from Under Armour if you're UCLA, but overall, you don't have any of these issues you can take what's going on in the dark and make it a real legitimate business you know represent representation could 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 be in place for the talent and and help them structure and monetize their deals the best way it also uh you know incentivizes confident representation to come in and you have a revenue stream for them before a player is a professional um it's so many ways where it could work. I, the, the issue is the NCAA is the greediest organization in the world, and they want every penny as opposed to just participating in a large pie. But what? if I was the chairman, that's the, the, the first thing that I would do tomorrow is just say, listen, everyone who's playing college football, basketball, or whatever, baseball, or whatever, um, has that basic human right. I wouldn't do... I wouldn't say right now that I would say, okay, everybody's receiving X amount of dollars because I haven't sat there and 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 broke it down that way to to speak on that topic from a credible uh, standpoint. But I know that they could do that tomorrow and nothing would change. They could change the the laws for the players to have their nil nil rights and nothing nothing would change. So you knew the rules of the NCAA as we all do. You became a, sure. a, a really powerful figure in college basketball circles with coaches, players, AAU coaches, parents. When you first launched Lloyd Management, Live Out Your Dream Management, what did you see that business doing? Like what was your goal for how you wanted to run that business? Boy, it's so hilarious to me that the, the government was my de facto partners, um, the FBI was my de facto partners and technically I was charged with fraud or bribery or basically taking the rights of, of get, not allowing prospective clients to have the rights and essentially rigging their representation, um, selection process by in the government's line, lining the pockets of, of people who had influence over them. So, so, my thinking in launching Lloyd was the exact opposite. And, and obviously with them being my partners, they knew my thinking was to build a management company and almost structure it how Hollywood managers act. Like in Hollywood, an actor has a manager, an agent, um, and they work in conjunction. I wanted to bring that same business model to the sports side and operate as essentially the quarterback over, um, the client's career um, and give them options to choose. So, so, you know, every agent isn't the right agent for every player. So my idea is the manager was to say, okay, I'm, I'm representing Brian this year. Um, For Brian, he, he's probably projected to go 20 to 30. Who's had the most success for uh, who's had the most success in the draft with, with players of of this particular client's caliber and where they are in the draft and maybe put four agents in front of them that, that fit their needs the best. And the same will go on the accounting or financial advisor side and, and, and pretty much build a team that's tailor made for, um, you know, every particular client. So, so my idea, obviously 
I had a close relationship with Andy Miller. Um, and it was some other agents that wanted to be in business with me. So my idea was to kind of create, um, you know, a few centralized relationships that I could bring to the table for the prospective uh, client or their family. And they could make the decision and have complete control over who their full, the other members of their team would be. So essentially, I was almost acting as a COO. The player and their family would be the CEO. And everybody else on the team, the agent, the financial advisor, the business manager, whatever you want to call it, would act in the roles that they, that they, you know, are, are best at. And we would essentially run it like a, a major corporation because my thinking was, I mean, fuck, these players can make hundreds of millions of dollars. They should be treated and ran like real corporations and not, you know, just individuals, basically. Um, so my thinking with Lloyd was to build a company that, um, you know, is essentially business partners with the clients as opposed to just I'm completely working for you. That that arrangement and the anxiety that that brings to anybody that's representing talent is is anybody who who's in that business understands the anxiety that brings by just I'm just your agent or I'm just your manager. Um, I wanted to be, uh, you know, the talent's partner and, and, and walk step by step with them and hopefully have, you know, real success. So that was my thinking. Obviously, that got completely derailed at that moment. Right. To me, the two most compelling parts of the movie, one, the audio from the wiretaps, which we'll get to in a minute. But two, like you just mentioned, your partners with FBI undercover agents. Like at what point did you start going, huh, these don't seem like regular partners. These are, you know, maybe I should be concerned about this. I didn't really get concerned until we got to Vegas We and, and the, amount, the amounts of money that they were spending. Um, because in my head, I was just running the numbers. Like we can't spend three thousand or four thousand dollars a night for a hotel suite unless whatever happening in that hotel suite is going to generate <laughs> you know three hundred thousand or thirty thousand whatever it has to be it has to make business sense for me so so i have no issue getting this hotel suite but let's get the hotel suite when we can when we can make money off of it basically and whatever's happening in there you know, you get your bang for your buck, basically. So when when they started to just spend outrageous amounts of money, I just was thinking, OK, these guys just have no fucking clue. That is what led me to to say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to have to appease these people by putting coaches in front of them. But I'm not going to waste the money and I'll tell the coaches what the move is so I can get the money back and keep it in the business and keep and put it where it needs to go to to close deals and sign people at the end of the year. Because in my thinking, if they're truly my business partners, if I get shit done and sign players, they wouldn't care anyway how it happens. Um, and then at that point, I've done it my way. I have the leverage to show them this is how the business should be ran. Now, could I have just said in the beginning, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, to uh, you know, pay coaches or I'm not going to do whatever. Sure, I could have. That is what I should have done. Um, but I thought, you know, these investors just have no idea how the business is ran. Let me try to show them um, and be a good partner. Uh, so that that that's basically my when the the light bulb went off of, okay, this might not be 
um, the best arrangement in the world. And I never, until I got arrested, thought they were the FBI. That never came. That never came in my head, ever, until the end. I, and I know that sounds crazy when you listen to the doc, the audio. Like, it pains me to hear some of those calls because it's so blatantly obvious that I'm being set up. Um, that was a weak, dumb moment um, that I always look back to, but I have to just, you know, I have to get over it now. But but in but I never thought because I mean who why would the FBI be involved in basketball that was that would have that's my rebuttal to anybody who presses me out on that answer is why would I have thought that it was the FBI what about this that we're doing would I have thought was illegal like in my head nothing that we're doing is wrong like it may be against NCAA rules but in my head I was like who cares like it's not that big of a deal the NCAA is not a government legislative body so. I wasn't thinking that they could really do anything. So throughout the whole process, I never, ever was like, okay, this is the FBI. Never. But did you at any point, you know, like you just talked about the NCAA rules. So, you know, you know, coaches can't pay for players. Players can't get paid, all this stuff. Did you ever think I might be getting someone in trouble here? Maybe, maybe this isn't the best way to go. Or were you so upset with the NCAA rules that you were like, you know what, I'm doing it my way and this is how it's going to be. I guess in my head when I do things, man, I don't think that deeply about it like that. I thought about it like this is the right way. If I can justify something in my head, and I know this may not be the greatest thing to say, but I'll, I'll go with it. In my head, I looked at it like, listen, these guys that I'm in, you know, conversations with or business with are making you know, some of them are making as much as $5 million and you're coming to this family and this kid and asking him to, to come play for you. And then we just, we can't even answer basic questions like how is the family going to get to a game or, 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 you know, or just, just basic stuff. So it's like, I don't really feel bad about a kid getting a hundred grand from a, from a, from a entity that's paying the university a hundred million dollars for the rights for him to wear their sneakers like the, the school made a hundred million or is making that the player is going to make a hundred grand in my head. That's not a really a bad thing. Like who cares? So, um, I guess in my head, I it never, it never, if I thought I was going to get someone in trouble, I would have, I would have, you know, stopped, but you got to remember, man, like in the moment, like I'm on campus visits with these guys. Like anybody who's like, Oh, I didn't know what was happening. Like how I'm signing in with the recruit. Like, so it's not a dynamic where I think anyone could really get in trouble. The fucking athletic directors are in the meeting. Like the academic counselors or whatever are in the meetings with me with the, with the family and the, in the, in the, in the players and stuff. So it's not like people that could have technically got everyone in trouble. Didn't know what was happening. Um, and again, they're making so much money. It is what it is, kind of. Like, it's not – don't – and now that, that's kind of my issue. Like, don't think for one second the people in power don't know what's happening. The, 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 and don't think for one second that they even really, really, really believe that what's happening shouldn't be, shouldn't be happening. You don't hear anybody – being forced like you don't you don't hear one incident in this whole case where someone was forced to pay somebody now one time you don't hear a struggle at all 
because everyone who's involved know this is just a part of the business. This is a part of the game. Because how should it not be? How can you realistically justify not financing a kid who's responsible for taking you to the Final Four or, or to the Sweet 16 or getting you that raise or you get the extent? Like, how can you how can you get it on your end and then say it's wrong for somebody to get it on theirs? That doesn't even make sense. So none of us were thinking like, oh, we're going to get in trouble or this is wrong. It isn't wrong. It isn't wrong. So I wouldn't have thought that then, and I definitely don't think it now. There's nothing wrong with what happened. People, People's minds might not be um, where it needed to be to accept the fate or accept reality. You may have some delusional fans who um, – you know, have this fake sense of of what the the business really is, but in reality, nothing happened was wrong. No one stole anything. No one made anybody do anything. Um, no player was forced to go to a school. None, none of those things happened. It was completely above board in our heads, outside of um, those NCAA rules. You know, it's funny. Uh... I want to get it to the audio in a minute, but you know who Robin Hood is, right? Like, yeah, I, sure. I kind of see you as a Robin Hood. Like, you feel like some people are being wronged, in this case, the athletes and maybe their families. And you're trying to help them your way, even though you know you may be breaking some rules, but you think they're being wronged. So you're, you're, you're trying to help them. Um, I think it's interesting. The, the most interesting part of the film to me, and like you just said, there's a lot of fans out there that think there's not corruption in college sports and they want to say their favorite program is doing it cleanly. When you hear this audio from Will Wade at LSU and Sean Miller at Arizona, how can you think that things aren't done corruptly? Like there it is. There's a smoking gun right there. And so, so, I never commented on those calls um, outside of the documentary. And when, when Pat, the director, played them and questioned me on the calls, I was hesitant at first. And what made me do it, I said to Pat, I don't think these guys did anything wrong. And he said, well, you should say that. Like, don't don't think that we're doing the, you know, we're, we're asking you these questions for you to you know, flip-flop on your opinion. And I said, yeah, at the end of the day, yes, Will Wade's call probably, um, you know, isn't great for him because he came out and and lied about it. Same with Sean. Like, that's the issue. For me, the the calls are the calls. They're fine. I don't see anything wrong with them. And And honestly, I can't even say it's really corrupt because... Dude, Will Wade makes over two and a half million bucks a year. That kid that he's talking about is the number one point guard in fucking Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time. The city that that the university is in. Will Wade's getting paid millions of dollars to get that player. That's just the bottom line. You can look at it any other way. You can look at it, you know, through through a lens of purity, but in reality, those those athletic directors and the board of regents or whomever that approved Will's contract are doing it with the with the intent of him landing good players and winning games by any means necessary. But so, so it's like what what's really corrupt about what Will did if you really think about it 
through that lens. He's not getting paid millions of dollars to lose games, bro. It's just not, that's not the reality. He could be a great coach. He can run the best sets. He could, he could get, everybody on his team could have a 3.5 GPA and all graduate. If he's losing games, he's going to be fired. So that's the reality of it. If he doesn't get top players or good enough players that can help him win, <laughs> he's going to lose, which means that he'll lose his job, which means that at the end of the day, they're going to find somebody that will do what they want to get done of winning and making money. So there's really nothing corrupt about that of, of what Will did when you think of it in those terms. LSU basketball program is set up to to win games and to be a revenue driver for the university. The only way those things can happen is by acquiring really good assets and talent and, and helping you, you know, actually execute on this theory that we need to win games to put butts in the seats to make money. So if you're not able to get the talent, then you can't do, you can't fulfill this equation. So at the end of the day, if Will has to do what he needs to do to, to get that player, then he has to do it because he's not, it's not like these guys are competing against themselves. Like they're not the only people that are willing, like Sean and Will Wade ain't the first players to want to do something or pay a player and they're not going to be the last. And just because these audios come out, ain't going to stop nothing. Because at the end of the day, I don't know where you're from, but it ain't that many jobs that pay someone millions of dollars to coach a basketball team. So people are going to take that risk, and they should. And it shouldn't even be a risk to be taken. It should be a completely above-board transaction that is in everybody's view like it is in the NBA or or NFL or whatever the case may be. Um, so for someone to think that, this is an amateur system and these are amateur athletes when they're generating billions of dollars. Like none of this makes sense to me. That's why maybe I'm the crazy person because when people are saying these things out loud, I'm just like, wait a minute, how can you say these things? And you're so blind by what's real and what's fake. Like this isn't rocket science here. <laughs> Let me ask you about that audio because I was under the impression that the audio was sealed. And, and it was not, you know, available for listening. And when I heard it in the screener and it's in the movie, the scheme, I was like, wow, like this is the first time we're actually hearing this audio. How did you guys get the audio to be able to play in the scheme? Listen, that's a big picture question, big, big, big boy question. <laughs> I, mean, I was just the person who, who commented on it. Well, whoever I did mean, that was, did, I mean, that was one of the things that makes the film, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think HBO is who they are for a reason. Um, so yeah, I can't, I don't know definitively how all of those things came together. Even the even the calls from my case, like I don't I don't get the the discovery or the the evidence. So I don't really know how any of the the evidence was organized and and, and put together. Literally, when I you got to remember when I did that interview was before anything was sealed or or anything was even commented on so 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 that was in that was after the first trial was when i did the master interview that was in march i think or whatever um after we we had the the louisville brian bowen case so at that point nothing sealed i think even 
the, the Will Wade call, the transcript was published by Yahoo. So these things were, somebody had them. I mean, everything kind of got leaked throughout this process. I don't know who, who, who leaked what, but you've had some leaks that are accurate. You've had some leaks like the DeAndre Aiden call with, with myself and Sean Miller that was false. So there's been so many things said about this and, and, and it's been talked about so many times. I don't, I don't know how the, the data or the information is getting to outside people, outside of the lawyers, but it's definitely happened numerous times. And I think even in a documentary, the, the, uh, Rebecca O'Brien from the Wall Street Journal, she mentioned she has FBI sources or FBI, um, a, a connect or, or, or government connections because she knew about as a journalist, she knew about the FBI misconduct before I even knew about it and I'm in the case. So, so there's ways that people can get these things. I mean, it doesn't, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't really surprise me, um, that I was asked about it to be completely honest with you. So I want to go back to something you said a minute ago and, and, you know, I want to be respectful of your time here too. I know, uh, you know, we're, we're going on here. We could probably talk about this for hours, man. Um, but Rick Bettino, so he was at Louisville. You know, we know what happened to him there. He's now back in college basketball and he's at Iona. You mentioned mm-hmm. someone like Will Wade. This is the way the game is played. You got to play it this way if you want to get the best players, if you want to win, if you want to make money for your program. Would you say in a microcosm like Rick Bettino, he's kind of that guy, right? Like he, he got busted. He, took some time off and went and coached overseas. Now he's back. He's, he's doing what he needs to do to, to stay involved in college basketball. And the fact that he got rehired by a school, what does that say about the system? Well, yeah, I think, I think, um, listen, so my answer to this question is twofold. One, if you're Iona and you can hire Rick Pacino, you hire Rick Pacino, unless he's killed your daughter or, or did something malicious, you, you hire the guy. Like you, you gotta, you don't get a chance at a Rick Pacino of your Iona. So on one, one level, I, I do agree with the hire because if I'm the AD, I'm doing the same thing. Secondly, I do think that example is a state of mind, um, should go back to our state of mind when everyone when we're going through this and people are saying when the prosecution is saying, you know, we, we're guilty of fraud or, or whatever the case may be like those things of seeing Louisville go through a stripper scandal or, or, or a horse scandal and everything kind of stays the same or, or, I mean, listen, Rick had his thing, you know, his run in with the female, I forget her name. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but like, but like that that happened. So it's like in our heads, no one is defrauding a school when these things. Which, listen, I'm not a perfect person by any means. But if some if those things are happening and everything is continuous in a state status quo, why would I think or any of us think at that point? that what we're doing is wrong. Like this doesn't even compare to, 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 to those kind of scenarios. Um, so, so I think that's just a bigger 
it's, it, it, that kind of goes back to my point about the big picture of this whole thing. Why is everyone acting like this isn't just business? Like, that's just what it is. And if you say that out loud and accept that to be reality, it's fine. No one would trip about it. But because you have this unbelievably dumb theory that this is an amateur game, you, you have to use words like corruption when, when you're talking about the things that, that we did. When in reality, if you, I'm in the music business now. Everything that we did in the music business is that, if everything that we did, if we did that in the music business, that's just being a good manager. That's just what it is. Like there's nothing, no one would say it's corrupt to get your artists 80 more thousand dollars from another record company just because you have an offer from, from Def Jam. Like if you can get a better deal at Republic, take the deal. So it wouldn't have been an issue in any other industry. This isn't a problem. Well, we did the same actions. If you recycle them, it isn't a problem in any other industry. In this, it becomes a huge problem and, and you have to ask the questions that you're asking me right now. So, but, but in my head, it's like, yo, if we all just go back to the, the original point of let's not think of this as a, as a, a amateurism thing and think of this no different from if you have the best podcast in the world generating millions of dollars, you're going to go back to whoever you're in business with and want more money. Like that's just common sense. Right. So, so, so with Rick, yes, Rick had some problems. Yes. Yes. He, he has maybe fallen short of monitoring at certain points. But at the end of the day, he's taken multiple schools to the final four. He's got a couple national championships and he's always been able to fucking win games. So if that's what the job description requires for Iona's basketball coach, he's pretty, he's a pretty good candidate when you think of it. In, in, in those terms, you know what I mean? He's not a good candidate if you want to have this fake reality of players shouldn't be paid, no one should make, no one's making money. We're all in this for the good of education and for young men and women to, to prosper in life. Like, yes, that is a part of it. But it's also, the other part is also really real. And if we just accepted it and acknowledged that this is a business, Rick Pitino being hired at Iona wouldn't be that big of a deal. You would say Iona has gotten a great basketball coach. Their AD should be getting an AD job somewhere else because he's convinced the Hall of Famer and a multiple national championship winner to come to Iona. That would be the story if the thinking of the system was different. So, I mean, I'm not really mad at Iona hiring Rick Pitino. I'm definitely not mad at Rick Pitino. I have no interest holding a grudge on anybody who didn't get as bad of a deal as I did. Like I don't I don't think I did anything wrong. So by by byproduct of that, I can't have it both ways and hate on someone or 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 be mad at someone who didn't necessarily get what I got. What I just want is for this to never happen to anybody else again. You know, because in and, and, and go back to the drawing board and let's let's start to have real tough conversations about some of the problems that I'm talking about. And if we address them, this scenario, this whole Christian Dawkins fiasco never happens again. Yeah, it's really interesting, the point you just made, because I was going to ask you about the music industry. If you're out in a club and you see mm-hmm. a 16-year-old and they're an amazing performer and you mm-hmm. say, you know what, I want to sign you and I want to pay you. $80,000, $100,000, whatever it is to sign mm-hmm. with my label. 
there's nothing wrong with that. It's business, Mm-mm. right? Like you identified a talent. You want to sign that talent under your umbrella, under your business, and no one thinks twice about it. But no one. with college athletics, because the landscape is different, you can't do that. You can't see a player and go, you know what? There's Zion Williamson. He's going to be the next number one pick in the NBA draft. I know him. I want to get him under my umbrella. I'm going to go offer him X in order to do that. It's a different landscape. Doesn't mean it's fair. I mean, in the, in the doc, without giving too much away, Dan Wetzel, you know, relates this to if you saw a, a young genius in Google or, you know, Amazon wanted to hire them. There's nothing preventing Google or Amazon from hiring them. Mm-mm. But in sports, in amateur sports in the United States, it's a totally different landscape. So I don't know how this is going to change, Christian, because we've been talking about this for years. I mean, we've been on the air for 16 years, and this has been one of the things we've talked about the most. I've had Mark Emmert on this show, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon. I don't disagree well, they're definitely not going to have to cut you off. They're, they're, the NCAA is definitely not going to impose changes on themselves. No one who makes billions of dollars of tax-free money changes that scenario. So did the feds Mark, change it? Who changes it? It would have to be, it would have to be Congress or, or, I mean, you have it happening at the state level, but, but it's a shit show right now. Um, but I mean, it'll have to be a, one of the governing bodies would have to come in. And, and, and make real change or the players, the players all just band together and, and hold out for like the NCAA and, and the, the different media entities. I've seen a number. They probably would lose seven to eight hundred million dollars because March Madness didn't happen. Like those are the kind of things that if the right players see those things and are smart enough to just use their leverage, Oh, it would change overnight because none of this shit happens and nothing works without the players playing. None of these contracts are fulfilled. None of these things happen without them. So either government forces the change or the players force it through just collectively banding together and and sitting out. So I'm going to let you go because I know uh, you have a busy schedule, but let me end on this. Again, watching this doc, like one of my takeaways, you lost your brother, you've gone through uh, some adversity in your life, but you know, you've pivoted quickly, you've got a a music label, you see like the one word I would use to describe you is resilient. Mm -hmm. What's next for you and and, and where do you get that resiliency? Because a lot of people who went through this would have been like, dang, I'm crawling into a hole. I'm hiding and I'm never coming out again. But you're mm-hmm. like, I- I'm just rolling with the punches and keep on keeping on. Well, yeah, I think it, it's just my mentality. Like, I'm from Saginaw, Michigan, Chief. Like, the sad reality of what happened to me is chances are, we, you know, we, the statistics show coming from where I come from, I, and you may not possibly, you know, face prison the way I did, but the chances are you'll face it at some point anyway. So for me, it's like, listen, I've got to just take what happened to me. It's completely fucked up, but it's a lot of people who went through much worse. You know what I mean? And I can't feel sorry for myself or, or, or be a victim of my own actions or, or, or my, the own results of my actions. And I just, listen, I'm, I know I'm good at what I do. Like it doesn't matter in my head that 
someone stopped it or or said, listen, this was wrong. I know that I'm not crazy. I know what I did um, had the right intentions behind it. And I know that what I'm doing now is good. So so for me, if I can make peace with myself, I can continue. So for me now, I have my label with with Atlantic Records. We have a joint venture there. We have a, a, a talent management company. We have a publishing company. Um, obviously the scheme was the first project, you know, from a, on a TV film side, but we also have a, a scripted series, um, TV deal that, that, that we're, we should be, you know, developing in, in the world will be seen, you know, here pretty soon. So for me, it's just like this happened, but I have so many other things on the table and in motion right now. I just have to continue to to just push forward and, and hopefully just continue to make positive things happen. Are you allowed to have anything to do with college basketball or no, not moving forward? Um, I think that, uh, you know, the question is, do I even really want to be involved? There's nothing that's stopping me now. I, I have, um, I could, I could move forward today after everything, you know, is completely done and, and over. I mean, also too, the state laws are different now. So it's like, you can call me crazy, but there's a lot of state senators and governors who agree that players in NIL rights should be available to them. So when you really think about it, when every when all the dust settles, and if I did want to just go full back, full back, full blown into that space and in that business, what could you really say? Oh, this guy can't in, can't get in because um, he paid players. Well, the governor of California agrees that the players should have their rights. So. If those people are kind of agreeing with my theory, I think I'll be okay. Christian Dawkins, the centerpiece of the film The Scheme, debuting March 31st at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, exclusively on HBO. I have seen it. It is compelling. You should watch it. Christian, really appreciate this conversation. Uh, I think you are a candid person. I love having candid conversations. So thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Thank you. I appreciate your time. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. 
follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.